Welcome to the Lean Solutions Podcast, where we discuss business solutions to help listeners develop and implement action plans for true lean process improvement. I am your host, Patrick Adams. Hello and welcome, everybody. Our guest today is Tanya Stinson. She is the founder of Leaning Towards Change, LLC. Tanya is an experienced leader in the healthcare industry where she is responsible for performance improvement, quality, risk, patient safety, and compliance. She serves as a mentor and a coach to physicians, nurses, and other clinical and non-clinical staff in utilizing Lean and Six Sigma methodology. Welcome to the show, Tanya. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Uh, so It's, it's I'm, such a pleasure to be here, Patrick. Well, I'm excited to have you, Tanya, and I'm looking forward to our discussion today. Uh, we're going to be talking about healthcare, lean in healthcare, and you know, maybe even talk through some of the differences between how lean is applied or looked at in you know, manufacturing or other industries and how it's also making its way or has been making its way for the past uh, number of years into the healthcare industry. And obviously, a lot of people that are listening right now who are process improvement practitioners or operations managers or team leaders or consultants, they've heard about waste, right? They've heard about waste if they, if they know lean, if they know process improvement. And waste can look very different depending on the industry, depending on whether we're in the office or out on the production floor or, you know, whether we're working in for a nonprofit or service-based industry versus a a product-based industry. And so you are currently in the healthcare world. Can you tell us a little bit about what waste looks like in the healthcare world? Absolutely. So, you know, a few things that we see that are a little bit different, of course, is, you know, medication waste. There's a lot of of wasted supplies and medications and things when it comes to in healthcare. And of course, uh, when you get into healthcare, there's the traditional things, you know, uh, you get into waiting, which of course, you know, when you go to if you go to a restaurant, you have waiting time. But of course, when you get into the healthcare realm and it comes to somebody waiting in the ED, of course, there's other things that are associated with that or that are critical because this patient may be in a critical state. And so, Time is critical at that point, and so mm. I think that's one of the big differences in between waiting at a restaurant or waiting, you know, at a traffic light or something like that. It's the the difference is the people, right? It, mm. It's the living, breathing people that we're talking about. So I think a lot of that brings into the the point that uh, making process and quality improvements in healthcare is is all the more crucial, more so. And I don't want to be particular about healthcare, but more so in healthcare than I think it would be anywhere else, just simply because. It affects people, it affects patients, and, and, you know, and so when you get into that, you also kind of look to see where does that waste come from, and so it's breaking down those processes, and really a lot of that goes back to the perspectives and how people are trained to see those wastes, and, you know, a lot of times when, you know, you have new employees come on, they always see a lot of things that people that are in roles for a really long time, they become desensitized to seeing those wastes because the status quo they, they are so concerned about taking care of those patients and, you know, sometimes they may not see the waste around them because they've been in that same position every day, right, sure. for several years. And so when you have these new people that come on board or even process improvement people may come in and go Gimba and observe, right, they would be able to see different things that more so others that are actually working in those positions wouldn't necessarily be able to see just because for one, they're focused on the patient, that's their first priority. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the second thing is, it's just getting, getting, taking care of the the task at hand, because a lot of times that task is super crucial and getting that patient taken care of is the top number one priority. So a lot of times it's really about doing that first and then realizing where the waste are second. 
Sure. So. Oh, that's great. And I appreciate you helping uh, give the distinction uh, between the two there. And and for those that don't know you, uh, you, you did spend some time outside of the healthcare industry. And actually, your introduction to Lean was outside of the, the healthcare industry. So can you give us just a little bit uh, about your background and, and then what brought you over to the healthcare industry? So I started on my Lean journey back in 2006 and 2007, and I was working in a, a power plant and then went on to work in an above ground strip mining corporation. And then, of course, uh, went into healthcare and um, then actually back out of healthcare into a multi metal manufacturing company and then back into healthcare. And a lot of the things that I had learned in and outside of healthcare are things that I wanted to, to take back into healthcare and ensure that we started utilizing those tools that were created outside of healthcare because a lot of those tools are, are really essential and would help to improve upon the patients that we serve and, and to help improve those outcomes for those patients. And not just the patients for the employees as well. I think that's the other thing is when we talk about the voice of the customer, because the voice of the customer is super important. And it's not just about the voice of the patient. It's about the voices of the employees and the people working in those positions. You really have to include them in. Of course, when you go to the Gimba, that's the first thing that's super important is because that's where you see where the work is being done. You can actually see those ways and that's where you can talk to the people that are doing the work and really get the, the process from their perspective because a lot of times they'll be able to tell you without you even looking where the, the wastes are, right? Right. They're, you know, that's the true voice of the customer as part of those processes. And then uh, because sometimes the patients see the waiting time on the back end, but they don't know the reason for that wait time, right? Right. And that's where those employees that are actually doing those processes and completing that work are the ones that can truly tell you where those, you know, those errors and inefficiencies are. Absolutely. But, you know, I think from that perspective, that's when you really have to, to you know, and this is the reason why I'm so passionate about leader standard work is, uh, and standard work itself, not just for the leader, but just standard work mm -hmm. is so important is because you've got to go Gimba, determine what your current state looks like, gather the voices of the people that are actually doing the work, capture that current state from their perspective and to determine from their perspective where the wastes are, you know, because you can come in and see those things from your perspective. But if you can just sit down with those people that are doing the work, that's where the communication breakdowns come in because a lot of times people don't understand until they talk to other areas. If you look at a total process from start to finish, so if your scope is, let's just say from the time that the patient comes into the ED to the time that the patient is discharged, that process flows through more than one department. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times these departments don't talk to each other, they don't communicate. And so that's where some of the communication breakdown comes in because they don't truly know that if there's a broken process that they have, what kind of delays, errors, and inefficiencies, that sends as a waterfall effect down to the second step in the process, and so on and so forth until the, the patient is already out the door, nobody truly knows how many errors and inefficiencies and breakdowns that we truly have. Right. Absolutely. Uh, and I, I appreciate that. Um, and you, you, you're starting to talk a little bit about uh, perception, right, too, and what people feel or, or what they see uh, when, they're, when they're in the emergency room or in the hospital or, or you know, even in a doctor's office. Uh, and I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are around how perception plays a part in learning to see waste, right? And so maybe you can expand on that a little bit more. So I think, you know, just like the way that we're raised, right, the way that we're raised and the way that we're trained, essentially, as we get out into the workforce, a lot of time that's what, what helps us to build our perception of the world, right? Mm -hmm. So even from a child, the things that you're taught, the things that you're, you know, you believe, all of those are things that have been taught to you, right? 
And so as we get into our process improvement perspective, even when we're grown and we get into the workforce, the way that we're trained is the way we think the current state truly is. That's our perception. Mm -hmm. And so it's not really until we start to communicate to others to see what their perception is to see that they may have a completely different perspective or perception than we do. That's and right. so that's also where that communication breakdown may come into play too, because a lot of people do things differently and it's not truly until you start using these Lean Six Sigma tools and techniques to determine that, to know that the communication breakdowns are there, to know that the waste or in the process breakdowns are there. And you know, a lot of times that's the reason why when you just get people into a room you'll determine where those gaps are and that automatically starts to improve upon and from a data perspective you'll see this a lot of times before you even work on the project you'll see from a data perspective just from communicating about where those issues are and where the breakdowns are in between the different groups you'll sure. start to see start to improve just from that perspective absolutely so. I, it makes me think about uh, have you ever seen the cartoon where the the two uh, people are standing uh, across from each other and in the middle of them is there's a, a number six or a number nine laying on the ground depending on you know how you're looking at it uh, you know what perspective that you're coming at the situation from so you know I completely under so have you seen that cartoon I have not seen that no. okay it's it's pretty interesting. I think you can probably Google perception uh, and find the, the the cartoon, but it's a it's a pretty funny picture. I, I've actually I think I've used it in some of my trainings, uh, right? So depending on whether you're looking at it, you know, this way or that way, that it could be a six, it could be a nine, and so talks, you know, basically is exactly what you're talking about. Everybody is brought up in a different way. You know, some people are brought up in single parent homes, some people are brought up in two parent homes, some people. Uh, live in the country. Some people live in the city. And depending on where you're brought up and where you came from, what industry you work in, uh, your perception of things can be completely different. So one person might see waste in one way, another in another. One pe person might see it not as waste. Another person might see it as waste. So yeah. again, it, there's so many different perceptions that you know can come, especially when we're dealing with human beings, right? That's right. And you know, I mean, if you think about it, even from a Lean Six Sigma training perspective, it really just depends on what organization or you know university you go with, everybody teaches things differently. Mm. It's not like it's one standard training system that we all have. You can go with one person and it may be completely different than what you get from somebody else. And, and I think that's the same thing with universities and colleges as well, because you may go to one university and get trained on you know these four courses, but it may be completely different from what you would get from another university. And so that's where, to me, I eat, sleep, and breathe standardization. And so, you know, standardization is, is something that we lack across all industry, right? Mm -hmm. And not just industries, processes, because you may put on your shoes differently than what I do, right? right? And so there's not really a whole lot of standardization that we have. And, of course, we know with standardization comes improvement, right? And, and so in best practices. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's one of the things that, you know, when we look at process and performance improvement and quality improvement, getting back into the healthcare realm and not just in healthcare, being able to standardize our processes would be a good thing to do. Absolutely. Uh, definitely 100% stand behind you on that. And and I think we could probably, today we're trying to, to focus on waste or we will be focusing on waste primarily in this conversation. But just in, in hearing you talk, I feel like we need to record another podcast maybe uh, next month or the month <laughs> after and just talk about leader standard work and standards because uh, that's that's also another hot topic and, and also one that I'm very passionate about as well. So 
But anyways, uh, back to waste. So, so let's talk about waste walks. Um, again, I'm you know very familiar with with how a waste walk works and what they are. But there's probably a lot of listeners out there that are maybe hearing that term waste walk for the first time. Can you define uh, what what is a waste walk and what would it be used for? And maybe even talk about the differences and what you've seen in different industries. So a waste walk to me is completely different from a gimbal walk. Uh, a gamble walk is actually where you're just you're walking to where the, the work is being done. But a waste walk is actually where, number one, you learn what those waste areas and inefficiencies are. So Tim Woods, downtime, you know, you really learn how, what those wastes are and some examples of what the wastes are. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times what I've seen, and this is not just in healthcare, people are really passionate about wanting to make changes, but they don't truly know where they start. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where a waste walk really comes into play is, you know, once they learn what the wastes are and where those areas and deficiencies potentially could be, give them some examples of what those could be, even in healthcare, outside of healthcare, Wherever it is that they want to focus on process and performance improvement, you know, it could be in manufacturing, healthcare, or, you know, like I said, mining and utilities. But I think it's really giving them that way swap form and being able to have them go Gimba to sit back and watch the process. And a lot of times I've seen people record the processes as they're being, you know, as people are actually doing the work because they don't want to interrupt the person doing it, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times if you record it, they get back to doing things normally. They don't get so nervous when people are actually standing there, standing over them, watching them. And so a lot of times if you'll just record um, the processes as people are doing the work and look for those things that you've learned about the waste, you can go back and look to see as you're watching this person. It's not just about those wastes. Is there any kind of things that they're doing that we consider to be unsafe, right? Sure. You know, a lot of times when we think about things that are unsafe, we think that's an off stop, right? Let's pull that end on core. Let's let's see, you know, we've seen a a major failure. You know, we need to stop the process. Mm -hmm. Um, But of course, if you see it on video, you can't do that. But it's something you can certainly document and go back to that person. and, And, you know, as well as the other documentation, as you record, you know, watch the video, go back and look at it and see what waste you find, document those errors and inefficiencies, including the safety incidents, go back and talk to those people that are doing the work as part of the current state that you actually document, that you watched on video, or you watched in person, and then talk with them about some of the findings that you had. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and I think that's where you get into, well, are these things that we need to start, do we need to start watching other people? Because one of the things that you'll see is that's where that non-standardization comes into play. You'll start to see people doing things differently. Then you'll determine that there's no best practice. A lot of people were trained by different people. And this is also gets back into perception. A lot of people were trained by different people. One person could have been hired 15 years ago, and the way that they did things were different, mm-hmm. right? You may have a new person that's coming in that could have been trained on a whole new set of processes and you know, in a whole new way. And so I think that's one of the things that you'll find when it's not standardized and do, people do things differently. And the people that have been around longer know shortcuts. Right. And, you know, sometimes with those shortcuts, it's, you know, there's there's different practices. That's absolutely so right. I, yeah. All that goes back into your perception, too. So it goes back into your perception on how you're trained. The person that was trained 15 years ago has a different perception than this new person that comes onto the floor. And, you know... The new person that comes onto the floor may be really passionate about wanting to make those changes and things and, you know, and wants to, to wants to make a difference. And then you have your your uh, not to be disrespectful for people that have been in the work for several years, but 
they may have a different perception because it's status quo at that point, you know, mm-hmm. and that's another waste that comes into play is skills, right? Because mm-hmm. they may just want to come in and get the work they done, whereas your new person may want to try to make a major difference and try to see what they can do to eliminate a lot of those waste and all of those shortcuts. That's right. Uh, while you were talking, I was thinking back to uh, a, a company that I worked with uh, years ago, and we were looking at their ramp up times uh, for a particular machine that had a number of different settings on it. And the uh, the first shift team uh, was struggling with their ramp up. I can't remember what the times were off the top of my head, but they were way, they were pro, I don't know. We'll just say they were an hour, an hour ramp up. And until they were, until they had their first good part off the line. Uh, third shift, however, had like, I'd say, let's say 10 minutes. I mean, it was crazy the the difference between third shift and first shift. Once we started tracking uh, their ramp up times, and we, uh, so we went obviously and asked them to let us watch them actually do their setup. And uh, when we saw the way that third shift was doing it uh, on his, his dials, he would always go uh, past the number and then come back to the right setting, go past the number and then come back to the right setting. And when we watched first shift do it, they would just go right to the setting. And so once we identified that difference, uh, we obviously asked third shift, why do you go past you know, like 20 clicks past and then come back to the number. And his response was, well, there's, a, you know, I've been working here for 25 years and I know that there's a lot of play in the tooling. And so I know that if I just go right to the, the number, then the play is still going to be there. But if I go past 20 clicks and come back, then the play is taken out. And so I can ramp up much quicker. But it wasn't until we actually went out to the place where the work was being done, observed the work being done, talked to the different shifts and actually uh, got, you know, received some data and then had those conversations that we were able to identify that. And so it was really interesting to me to, to think about, you know, why aren't you guys talking to each other? And obviously that that came to uh, some more discussions around communication breakdown, which exactly. is really what, where I want to go to next. Um, I'd love to talk to you about uh, what you think, you know, problems in lack of communication. You have two shifts that clearly see each other during, you know, shift handoff. Uh, but w- what does a lack of communication you know, what does that cause for teams when, when they have that lack of communication? So I think from the perspective, just like you were talking about, it sounds like there was a great best practice that you could have built out of all of those different things that you had heard and mm-hmm. seen, right? And I think that's where communication breakdown comes into play is if, if people don't talk to each other, they don't truly know where those failures are and where the opportunities for improvement are unless they communicate, you know, a lot of times when we work on improvement projects, we work in silos mm-hmm. and it's not just improvement projects. Every day departments work in silos. They don't truly communicate to other departments to determine where the communication gaps are, much less any kind of failure that could be associated with, you know, process failures or things like that, or even safety issues. Because sometimes when we, you know, one of the things I can think about from that perspective is mislabeled specimens. I mean, that, you know, there may be a specimen that could have been collected in the ED. By the time it gets to the lab, there could have been something happened in the elevator, uh, taking the specimen to the lab to where it lost the, you know, it lost its label sticker. And so they have to send that back down to the ED and communicate with them to let them know, look, this, this specimen is mislabeled. So guess what happens? We have to go back to that patient and recollect the, you know, that specimen on this patient and it, you know, the patient could already be disgruntled because we probably had to, you know, try to stick them 
two or three times just to get the specimen that we get, even if we can the second time. Mm -hmm. Some of these patients may be so dehydrated or something's going on with them to where we may not be able to collect another specimen. And sure. so that's where, you know, a lot of times it's not just, and, and that's the thing, I think with communication breakdowns, there's always another failure associated somewhere in the process, right? And so, you know, this as well as I do, Patrick, whenever we talk about processes, it's not just, we don't find just one failure. We don't find just one waste because mm -hmm. when we find these, it's in multiples because sometimes one waste impacts another waste that impacts another waste. And it's kind of that, like I said, that waterfall effect to where, you know, if you find one, you're going to find more. Right. right? And, and so when you actually start working on those opportunities for improvement, it, it involves a lot of work just simply because it's not a simple change. Sure, and sure. a lot of times it involves more than one department because what you'll see is that that communication breakdown, of course, with the communication breakdown is also, like I said, other process failures. And that's where the waste and, you know, the error and inefficiency comes in because that's when they start to talk about how they're passing those errors and inefficiencies from one department to the other. Right, right. And then and in the case of the mislabeled specimen, so they have to pass that specimen back to the ED or trash it, even inform the ED that they've got to recollect. And then at that point, the ED has got to come back. Well, we don't know how often that happens until we start to track, you know, start to track and trend because, you know, that's another thing too, you know, with the variation in the processes, unless we start to track and trend how often that happens, we're not going to truly be able to see the complexity of how big these problems are. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, that's another waste in itself, too, is because a lot of times people, well, we have a tendency to, to and I don't want to say put a Band-Aid on that, you know, put a, but we put a quick fix in, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of times we don't really want to, we don't have the time to go back and invest the time into looking to see how often these issues happen and how often we track and trend. You know, how many times do we have to search from room to room to look for a thermometer? How many times did we run out of uh, nursing or gowns for the patients in one room where we had to go back and forth searching in other rooms for gowns for the patients? You know, these are different ways that a lot of times we don't we don't track those things because we don't know how often it may happen to the next shift or we don't know how often it may happen to all these other people doing the work as part of the process. Right. And right. so I think that's just all of it. All of it to me, perception, training, communication, breakdowns, all of those things they work together, right? Because if you have one that breaks, essentially another is going to break. Sure. Uh, and I have another question based on what you were saying. So the when you're out doing a waste walk, uh, if you find multiple multiple waste or multiple opportunities for improvement, what is your suggestion to listeners about how they manage that? Because that could that could become overwhelming very quickly if they have if you have multiple people doing waste walks at a department and you know they're finding five six different um, opportunities for improvement that can become very overwhelming very quickly. So how would you suggest people manage you know that that type of workload or how do they approach organizing those tasks or the, those opportunity those solutions for the opportunities of improvement? No, I think they, they need to track and trend it over time just, you know, because some things may be things where they can be, you know, what we call just do it's where mm -hmm. it may be an immediate change that, that they can go out and, and complete and fix the problem. Sure. But then these these more complex problems that may take an actual let's use the, the make methodology and use these Lean Six Sigma tools. So I think it's all about prioritization. They really need to, to start tracking and trending how often they see those issues, maybe 30 days, maybe 60 days, 90 days, however long they feel like they really need to build, to build a good trend, depending on what 
what the waste is that they find, right? Right. And then I think part of that goes back to, well, is it something immediate? Do we need to address this immediately? Because if it's a wrong site surgery, I mean, I, I would want to address that immediately. It's not something that I would want to wait, right? right. It, it needs to be addressed immediately. But if it's something like, like I talked about where they're, they're not getting, you know, uh, missing thermometers in one room or another, that may be something you want to track over time and talk to different departments and talk to the different shifts to see how often this happens and then to what's the complexity of that. Because we, it may be not just an issue with thermometers, it can be an issue with other supplies as well. So, sure. you know, it's just kind of talking about that with the team. So I think if you have a group of people, bring them together, you know, maybe a person from supply chain, maybe a person from the ED, maybe a person from the lab, you want to get a group of people together to talk about these different issues that we're seeing. But one of the first things that I would say to do is start tracking and trending to see mm -hmm. how often it happens. Because once you do that, you may see that it's not as big an issue as you thought it was, right? Right. Um, or it may not happen as often as you think it does. And so, and then from that perspective, I would just start monitoring the data. And then if you start to see that it's something that, you know, is truly getting out of hand, bring people together to prioritize those different issues to determine, is this something that, especially in healthcare, is this something that could impact the patient, you know, or the employee immediate, if it's an immediate danger, we need to go ahead and address that. But if it's something that it could take a, a few months to get an improvement made, then it's just all about that prioritization, I believe. Right. Yeah. And, and you talked quite a, quite a bit about going and, and talking to the people and involving them and engaging them in the process. How important is it for people, for leaders, for those that are out doing a waste walk, how important is it for them to be effective listeners? So I think from that perspective, like I said, I think the people doing the work are the most important people. You've, you've really got to listen to that voice of customer because, you know, they're the ones that are doing the work. And it's not just about and then from that perspective, you talk about leadership, right? You want to get leaders involved because guess what's going to happen? If the people on the front line see that their leaders are invested, they're going to want to ensure that they put all of their time and attention into whatever it is that, that you know, whatever topic it is, the, the issues that we're talking about. Because if they see that their leaders are invested, they're going to be invested, right? Sure. And that's one of the things that we see, even with sustainability, it, to the opposite of that, as we start to complete PI improvements and we start to, to get into the control phase and we want to look at long-term sustainment, one of the things that we want to ensure happens is we want to ensure that the leaders are still engaged because sometimes if the leaders aren't engaged and, and they feel like it's not a priority, so the people then start to think it's not a priority anymore. Mm -hmm. And we don't want things to, to go back to the way they were before because sometimes that happens. I mean, we, you know, we know this. And so, I think that's part of it too. It truly depends on how important these changes are that were made uh, as part of these processes, especially if it comes to the safety of the patients or the employees that are that do this work on a daily basis. You know, it really goes back to how long do we track and trend to the once we get to that place where we're sustaining these processes. How long do we consider to to keep this as a, a topic of importance, right? Mm -hmm. So, and I think that's also where we get back into communication breakdowns because. If you see people start to revert back to those old ways of doing things, it's that see something, say something mentality. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's really important in a healthcare perspective, because a lot of times what I've seen is when people make changes, the people that work so hard to make these changes become very passionate about the changes that were made. And so a lot of times, it, you know, they want to see visual management boards put up. They want to be able to see the data. They want to be able to see 
who had a failure fits other people in their department. And sometimes they call them out on that. Like, dude, we've worked really hard on this. I need you to step it up. And can you tell me what happened? And so they own those changes, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's the great thing about it is that's where you see that sustainability piece coming is people take personable or they take person, person, you know, they take it, they're personally responsible for those changes and they want to ensure those things are successful for the long term. So they own it. Right. And then they expect other people to own it. And when those people don't own it, then it's, what are you doing wrong? Can I help you with this? You know, what what's going on? With, uh, there was an issue. We were working on a blood culture contamination reduction project, and I'll never forget this. And and so when we started the project, I believe it was about 5.67% contamination rate. Hmm. And the national average for blood culture contamination was 3%. Hmm. And once we had worked on this improvement project, we had actually gotten down to less than 1% after a year. And so, or had sustained that for over a year, I'm sorry. And so when you look at that, those people started owning those changes, right? They started owning that process. And that's what they were doing. We're holding each other accountable is that see something, say something mentality to where if they saw somebody that they they saw was deviating. So we built a standard work, right? As the, the future state process, we built a standard work process flow. And so when they would do their random Um, audits and things like that, they would see some people deviating from the standard work. And it was like, see something, say something, Mm -hmm. you know, why did you break the process? Right. And so they, they owned that. And Mm -hmm. I think that's part of it too, is, is these people become so passionate about the changes that were made, they start to own them. And then that's what we want to keep going is for uh, people to become so passionate about these changes that they start owning it and holding people accountable. Sure, sure. Yeah. And, and, and I think what you're talking about here is, you know, obviously the, the people side of change and, and really understanding true ownership and buy-in from your team and what that looks like. There's probably some people who are listening that, you know, maybe struggle a little bit with that because they think, well, that's my peer. Like, is it really my job to, to call them out or to throw them under the bus or whatever it might be? Um, is it really my job to do that? And I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are, you know, what you would say to someone that says, is that really my job? Do I need to really be the one that, you know, says something? If I see something happening, uh, what would you say to that? I would say absolutely. That That's the thing. We're here to help each other do our jobs the best way and the safest way every day, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, if I was to see something, I would definitely say something because if I didn't, I would be worried about what the repercussions would be if I didn't like not from a, an HR perspective, but what would happen if I, if I knew there was a failure or an opportunity to improve or something and I didn't say something and something happened to my peer coworker because I didn't say something or even to a patient. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's where we all have to be accountable to for each other, not sure. just for ourselves, but each other, we've got to be there for each other and hold each other up and, you know, support each other when it comes to these different regardless of what job it is, right? We've got to hold each other accountable to ensure that each other does our best work. And Mm -hmm. I think that goes back to you assigning your work with excellence. Mm -hmm. So I don't want somebody to be able to come back to me one day and say, Tanya, did you know about this, this and this and not say something? Well, absolutely not. If I, if I see an issue, I will say something. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of, if we, we would all practice that every day, I think everything would, our processes would be a whole lot better, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Tanya, the, the other thing on uh, the people side of change, right? In understanding that as leaders, how important is it that, that we 
focus in on this people side of change? How important is it to understand the people side of change? Obviously, we've talked extensively about, you know, what that could do for us, but how important is it really? So I think the people side of change and really learning what that is, because you could have people who are, are really going how about making changes that, you know, they're what we proactive change, right? They're mm -hmm. people who are change adapters that really want to to make a difference in the world, right? That's a lot of people in PI. That's what we do it for because we want to change things for the better, right? And, and there may be some people out there that are resistant to change. And I think that a lot of that comes into perception, how people are trained. They may have been a change adapter at one point. They were really passionate about making changes, but because they communicated those to others and it fell on deaf ears, they lost that inertia, right? They lost that passion. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where we really have to get people back into that place. And, and a way to do that is just to communicate with them about why they feel the way they do about things, right? right. We really have to understand that people's side of change and why people feel the way they do. You know, what happened with them in their past that caused them to, to be where they are now? And how can we get them back to being a change adapter or somebody that's going to be able to, to be passionate about change again? And, and want to make those changes and make a difference in the organizations. And of course, if you're working in healthcare for the people that they serve, right, in their communities, right. what can we do to get that passion back? Absolutely. So Tanya, tell me a little bit more about leaning towards change. Uh, why, why leaning towards change? What, what, what's the, uh, the thought behind that and what you do through the company? Well, I think sometimes, um, you know, leaning towards change, I started leaning towards change in November, 2020. And I actually am part of an organization called the American College of Healthcare Executives of North Texas. And my mentee, Preeti Seth, and I'll mention her name here. So shout out to Preeti. Um, she actually uh, had voted for me to recommend me for the Mentor of the Year Award. Mm -hmm. And at the student council, of course, uh, had said, well, we'd like somebody to teach us Lean Six Sigma classes. Mm. And I had won the mentor, you know, I was, I'm super grateful because I had won the mentor of the year award, but you know, there was opportunities that came with this. My mom passed away from COVID of, in August of this past year. And all of these things were kind of happening around the same time. They student council said, you know, we, we'd like to, to learn about Lean Six Sigma. And, you know, I had my, my mentee who was the, the president of the student council. And, you know, they talked to me about, you know, teaching these Lean Six Sigma classes. And I'll, it's kind of one of those things where you step back to go, what do I want to be when I grow up? Do I want to really step out of my comfort zone and, and take on this this responsibility of, of starting my own business and teaching Lean Six Sigma classes? Something I've always wanted to do. And then you get into that, of course, then November 2020 um, is when I started leaning towards change. And the title, of course, has lean in it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and I think that's that I've decided on the title of leaning towards change just simply because I think sometimes a lot of people get to that point to where they have it in their mind. And just like, you know, you have goals, right? Three year goals, six, five year goals. Everybody has dreams. Everybody has goals. And a lot of times we want to lean toward those changes, but we never get to the point to where we really want to truly commit. And I think there's some Sometimes it caught, it's like when my mother passed away, there's drastic things sometimes that have to happen to cause you to take that, that big step, right? Get out of that comfort zone and be able to determine what do I want to do next with my life. And I think that's where a lot of times when you think about process improvement and, and you know quality improvement for that perspective, sometimes we're scared of what's going to happen on the other side of change. But until you make that big step and make that commitment, you'll never know. 
right? And right. so, and I think that goes back to those people that are scared of change. They're scared because they don't know if they say something, what's going to happen next. Right. You know, sometimes Lean and Six Sigma gets a bad rap because people have heard and seen that people are just going to come in and start firing people. That's what Lean and Six Sigma, they've heard that's what Lean Six Sigma is about, is people are just going to start being eliminated. That's what making cuts is all about, right? Mm -hmm. But you and I both know that's far from the truth. Right. And a lot of times when you go into organizations, you have to prove yourself and, and prove to the people that that's not what you are about and that's not what Lean Six Sigma is about. Right? You have to prove to them because the proof is in the pudding. You mm -hmm. truly have to prove to those people that that's not what that's not what making changes is about. It's about improving on the process and not about eliminating people. Right. Right. It's about that. Truly, the people side of change is about getting those people passionate about making changes again. And I think that's the reason why leaning towards change was pivotal for me. And, and because I want these people to be hungry, I want them to be passionate about changes. I want them to be able to know that they're making a positive difference in the world. So. That's yeah. right. I love that. Thank you for, for uh, explaining that to us. And I'm interested to hear how to get a, get in contact with you for pe those that are listening that say, you know what, I, I love what Tanya's doing. I love the, the, the idea behind leaning towards change and, and, you know, maybe they are looking for a mentor or whatever it might be. Um, how would they get a hold of you? Uh, what's your website and uh, or what's the contact info for you? So I have a website. It is called leaningtowardschange.com, and I'm also very active on LinkedIn. Um, anybody can message me through there. Uh, I can provide my cell phone number and email um, if they would like. Uh, whatever. I'm, I'm very communicative. All they have to do is reach out to me, and I'd be happy to set up some time and discuss with people about you know what their current issues are and how I can best help them. Perfect. And we'll definitely drop those links into the show notes. So if you're interested to get in contact with Tanya Stinson, you can go uh, to the show notes uh, and find her website as well as her LinkedIn page uh, and some other the transcripts, the, the, uh, the notes, the highlights from this podcast. Uh, so Tanya, thank you so much for being here with us today as a guest. And as I said earlier, uh, maybe we need to schedule another time to talk about standards and leader standard work. That sounds like a wonderful idea, Patrick. Thanks so much for having me on. All right. Take care, Tanya. You too. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Lean Solutions Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe. This way you'll get updates as new episodes become available. If you feel so inclined, please give us a review. Thank you so much.